Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more. Here on Am I a Bad Therapist, we know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice. Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PEPITA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible. Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time too with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows, which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist. And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code bad therapist for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ellie, we talk a lot about alcohol in our culture, don't we? We do. I feel like across professions, but even as therapists, you know, we talk about grabbing a drink or all these different types of things and how alcohol plays a role in our lives. And I think it's interesting how it can still feel very polarizing in our like our culture and society of like either you're an alcoholic or you're sober. You can drink or you can't. And it often feels like that's where conversation goes. But I'm really excited because today we hear from Elena and we have a different conversation about sobriety, alcohol, the role it plays in our life and in our work. 
Yep, we're gonna talk about how that looks and what we want it to look like. So stay tuned and please always remember, we are not endorsing actual bad therapy or impaired practitioners because this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance or therapy itself. All right, well, this is episode number 68 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Hi, Elena. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. So before we get into what made you wonder or question if you were a bad therapist or not, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Elena Winnert. Um, I just recently, in the beginning of this year, opened up my own private practice called Into the Woods Therapy. Um, I've been practicing social work for around seven years now. I graduated in 2016. Um, and I did school social work for a long time before I moved into group practice and then my own practice. Awesome. Well, why don't you get into it? Tell us about what made you wonder if you were a bad therapist. So after, so I went right from undergrad to grad school um, with social work and in undergrad definitely was like a coasting kind of vibe of like, you know, I dormed at school and I was with all of my friends and I drank all the time. And it was just kind of that vibe when I went to the SUNY school that I went to. Um, and then I went right into graduate school from there. Um, and again, just kind of like, you know, graduate school was difficult, much more difficult than undergrad, but I was still able to balance both, um, getting my work done and continuing to have kind of like that party lifestyle and anything that would stress me out, um, uh, like internship wise or trauma that I was dealing with either personally or with work. Um, you know, it was kind of normalized just from, you know, undergrad and everyone else, like the world, you know, um, it's very normalized to utilize alcohol as a coping mechanism. Um, so I continued to utilize that throughout graduate school without a lot of negative um, repercussions, especially like work or career wise. Um, after I graduated in 2016, I went from um, multi-systemic therapy to school social work. And I was in school social work for a few years. And um, I was working in the city of Buffalo um, and loved my job there working K to eight. And um, just like the craziness of the schools and never knowing what you're gonna get every single day. I absolutely loved it there, but um, I was, that year, it was 2018, and it was actually like five years almost to the date here. Um, in September, it will be five years. Um, I was, so we hadn't been in school for very long that year. It was only like a week or two into school, the school year. And I knew the guidance counselor, the school social worker well, like all of them. Um, and one night, I had went out to like a bigger event here in Buffalo that a lot of people go to and um, drink a lot of alcohol that night um, and vaguely, you know, remember seeing this male guidance counselor that was at my school with a teacher that used to be at the other school that I used to intern at. And I just like have very like vague memories of seeing them. 
um, in the beginning of that night. And then that night kind of just like spiraled out from there. Um, my drinking was definitely, um, I didn't drink all the time, but when I did drink, it was heavy and it was to a point where I would black out. And so that night was no different and I blacked out and I don't really remember much of that night. And I woke up um, that next morning at like 5 a.m. in like a panic, um, incredibly like stressed out and worried and fearful of what I did or if I embarrassed myself or what I said. Um, and it was really, um, really just, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine feeling that way again after I woke up that morning like that. Oh, so here you are, you know, coping like you had been through college into graduate school. And you said you were able to continue into graduate school with not many negative repercussions from what we would call binge drinking, right? To the point of blacking out. And mm -hmm. until you are out at a, sounds like a big event, and you wake up the next morning, we're vaguely remembering seeing coworkers and not, I'm assuming, not knowing what those interactions were. Correct. Yes. And that was a feeling you never wanted to feel again. So how, how, what happened? Did you see these people again the next day? What happened? So really the next day I was just like in my own inner turmoil. It was like a Saturday and I woke up my, you know, then boyfriend, which who I'm marrying next week. Um, and oh yeah, yeah. And I woke him up. We had only just started dating at that point. And I was just like, what happened last night? Like I was in tears and, um, it was just a really rough way to wake up and not know what you did or if you were embarrassing or what they would think of you. Um, and it just like really made me question, like, why was I doing that? Why was I not practicing when I would preach? Like there was just like something in me that like felt like I was living a double life basically. Like in my work, you know, um, life, I was, you know, capable and talking with my students about coping mechanisms and doing sanitary therapy and like, just like helping them with coping with their problems that they were going through. And yet here I was with the problems that I was going through and I was not coping in a very healthy way. So it just made me feel like I was like, like a, like a fraud almost. Um, so that day was really just a lot of like embarrassment and sadness. Um, and that stayed for a while, but I remember that day thinking, I just, I can't do this anymore. I like, I can't. Um, so from there, um, I got, you know, began talking to a therapist, um, and I kind of just did it slowly. Like I did not say, I did not make this big thing because I had done that in the past of like, I'm never drinking again. I didn't mm -hmm. say that because that felt very overwhelming for me at that time. Um, instead, I just said like, it was September and we were going into October. So um, I just went into like, I'm going to do sober October for myself. Um, and I didn't make it any bigger than that um, for a while. And I just was like, I'm just not drinking today because I don't want to, because I need to deal with this and process this and figure out how to cope because we deal with a lot as therapists and we hear a lot of really, really traumatic stories. And 
I have to figure out a way to not internalize those and then numb them out with alcohol. I need to figure out a different way to cope with them. Um, so um, I went to therapy. Um, I did try some AA, uh, but AA was not for me. Um, my friend, by chance, was randomly getting sober at the same time as me. She got sober in November. Um, so I felt really lucky. We, we went to AA meetings together and stuff in the beginning. Oh. Um, but they, both they weren't really for either of us. We were both young women. We were both 25 years old at that time. And it just didn't feel like what we needed. Um, so mm. in, in place of that, we, you know, really leaned on each other for support. Um, we utilize a lot of like women-based resources like um, Holly Whitaker um, and mm. Laura McCowan um, had a podcast called Home Podcast and it was about their sobriety and it was amazing. And they have their own books that we wrote or we read. Um, and I got really into like social media, like sobriety. Mm. Um, because at that time it was like just booming. Like it was just like this new surge of like, let's try out not drinking and mocktails and, you know, the sober lifestyle. Um, so that was kind of the start of my sobriety and I've been sober ever since that day. Um, so September 9th, 2018, um, is my sobriety date. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so interesting. I also, I actually don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast. I also made the decision to not drinking five years ago, and it was really? in August five years. Yeah. Oh my god, that's wild. Yeah. So it was. I guess it was the time, and it yes. was like the um, sober girls guide. Yes. Like there is so much. Like, it's very. Um, I mean, I feel like it's always, of course, a supportive thing, but it does feel like kind of like culture has shifted, and I do find it very interesting to kind of look at like how it can kind of impact your work even if it's Uh like I feel like when you think of like impacting your work someone's like oh my god so you were like drunk at work it's like no 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 no. that's not what I'm saying but like it can impact like you're saying your ability to Mm -hmm. cope like your ability to hear things like just your ability to like function during the day like if you're tired or things like that Mm -hmm. so do you feel like you saw that impact like reflected back to your work afterwards like obviously it could have been like learning new ways to cope, but how about in the ways that you interacted with your coworkers, your students? Like, what did that feel like for you? Yes, like a hundred percent. I just feel like I was able to give so much more um, presence at work, and I don't know. I felt like I was no longer like surviving. Like for a while there after graduating, it was like you hear like these stories and you feel like you go home and you numb out from it and then you come back to it. And it's just like this, like, I don't know, like constant thing of like survival. Um, Mm -hmm. And you think you're like doing it for the greater good or something, but it was no longer like that for me. Um, And I was able to like actually move forward in my goals that I was setting for my clients as well as for myself. Um, So from then on out that year, at the end of that school year, I got a job in a different district. And then from there, you know, like, took um, like many leadership roles at the school that I was at, at that district. And then like kind of made the jump, made a lot of different jumps that I don't think I would have ever done if I was still drinking, because it really, to me felt like I was just like living this like double life. Like I couldn't see how I could, I could never do what I do now in private practice if I was still Mm -hmm. drinking, because I would have such fear 
of like people mm-hmm. finding me out almost like they, they're going to find me out that I'm not really like coping in the way that I should be coping or that I'm going to run into them and they're going to be like, oh, wow. You know, so it, it feels so much more like freeing that my like both of my lives match. They're aligned with each other. Let's pause here for an ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Ellie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. Sounds like being a therapist, being a social worker, it really highlights when your values are not in line with your life because we deal with this every day, right? And I wonder, I wonder, do you think being a social worker changed your process of recovery or is it different in recovery, being in the mental health community? What's that like? It's interesting. And Allie, I don't know if you also felt this way at all, but like, I mean, it's great in one way because you know all the coping skills and you know the resources that you can get. And those are really awesome and helpful. Um, And I feel like sometimes alcohol is still very normalized as a coping skill and like Mm -hmm. sold as a coping skill, even in the therapy community or the school community of like, oh, this is how we cope. Like, you know, wine is the way that we cope with our problems. Yes. Yes. And so huge in mom culture. Yeah. And so it's a, it was, I felt a little bit like isolated from that when I was still working in like more community settings with others, say like social workers or teachers and things like that, because that was the way that many people did cope. Um, And I wasn't trying to be judging of that. And I knew that I couldn't cope in that way anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like I had to redefine a lot of my friendships and even like coworkerships, yes. like because it's, it's so normal to be like, oh, let's go grab a drink. And for me, I was I'm fine if I can go to a bar and like hang out with people, things yeah. like that. I'll just order a mocktail. Like, yeah. And for me personally, my approach, like you can drink, I don't care. Like, do what you're gonna do. I'm just doing what's best for me. But I felt like so many people would be like 
they would be much Weird. more impacted than I was of like, oh my God, do the, do you want this? Do you, are you okay with this? And I'm like, I promise, like, I'll let you know if I'm not okay. This is just what I'm going to do. I'm happy to still hang out. But then I felt like sometimes like I definitely didn't hang out with people as much in some people, like some people, it was no big deal, no big transition, anything like that. But then others, it did feel like it impacted that mm-hmm. or even like after work drinks. I was fine going, but it almost made some people, I don't know if it was like discomfort or whatever it was that changed the interaction. So I felt like it is even to this day, sometimes interesting of like trying to just, I'm okay with it and just sharing that, but not forcing anyone. I never am judging anyone. Like you can have a drink, all of those things, but I definitely feel like even just coworker wise, colleagues, friends, it, it definitely shifted a bit and it's an adjustment. Yeah, for sure. I think like when you share that you're not drinking for for some reason like i think people internalize it and look it makes them look at their own drinking and they're very uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. and so yes. that it definitely does change that dynamic but it also forces you i think to like make really like different kinds of friendships like that you probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. otherwise like you know like going to me and the girls that i used to work with at that next school where i was sober right from the very beginning um we would after school go walk over to the coffee shop nearby and go and grab coffee and like that's about our day versus like going to the bar and doing that and so i felt like that was like a really nice healthy way for us to bond um and it just made i feel like overall my relationships feel more uh, like stronger and more meaningful to me purposeful right not bonding over the alcohol yes exactly yeah like real bonds which I think I was always searching for when I was drinking with with the people that I would work with or my friends but sometimes it's just that like you share too much or you you do too much and like it's not like real like Mm -hmm. authenticity you know yeah now, Alina, I'm curious. We've talked a lot about, you know, how this is a coping strategy, you know, utilizing alcohol, things like that. How did you trans like you did this kind of transition into not drinking? How did you find new coping skills? What are your coping skills now? If you don't mind sharing, um, I'd be curious to hear that of like what that was like for you and what it looks like now. Cause we know it, I mean, it changes all the time, like how we cope with things. But yes. if you would be okay more about that process. Yeah. So I really leaned more into well, first I started with like yoga and really leaned more into like kind of like that hot yoga scene and just kind of the people that were in there and all of that. But then I got really into, and I still utilize I, I, yoga to me now. I don't do hot yoga anymore. If anything, I do restorative. I hurt my back a while back, um, but I got really into hiking. Um, and so I, um, you know, started hiking in the, in Buffalo, the closest like big hiking things are the Adirondacks. Um, they're like four or five hours away. So I got really into that with my one friend and it was, it was, I had to like figure out which friendships were friendships that I would be able to continue in sobriety. And so I had to figure out what do I have in common still with some of my friends that were mainly my, my drinking friends. And so, you know, I, my one friend, um, we really liked to be active together and hike together. So we really bonded over that and we were able to keep a really, really close bond because of that, which is really nice. Um, so we still, like, I just got back, uh, two weeks ago from an Adirondacks trip where we did a high peak. Um, we're trying, you know, our goal in life is to do all 46 of the high peaks in the Adirondacks. Um, but we do like annual trips to like, we went to Zion and, you know, um, I just, I love, hiking and being outdoors. And I've kind of actually incorporated that into my practice with counseling into the woods. Um, It's like a walk and talk practice. And 
Um, I've been, I went to a training in June in Colorado. Um, it was an amazing somatic wilderness training in the woods for a week where you camp and there's like no showers for a week or anything. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And so I really am trying to like bring nature and hiking into my therapy practice as well to help other people. I feel like that's the perfect transition because my next question I was thinking about, I was going to ask you of like, now did this impact your practice? Like when you became, you know, you went into your journey of sobriety in schools, um, but then, you know, going into group practice, private practice, like does that come up for you in your practice? Is it, did it change how you do practice? What about that piece? Yes. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. I think that um, the new coping skills that I was able to like really um, expand on in sobriety, I've definitely attempted to bring those into my practice. Um, I've also just looked at alcohol a bit differently as like, um, like, again, like I think sometimes it can be very normalizing our culture for alcohol. So like when people will talk in counseling about their drinking, like I remember one of my previous counselors when I was still drinking was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like everybody drinks and kind of like minimize my drinking, even though to me it did feel like it was a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I really attempt to like listen. And if I notice like, you know, um, patterns in someone's drinking or someone's um like the problems that are happening or the conflicts that is happening and how they relate to drinking, I will try to like um, bring that up and talk about it. And I also am not somebody that believes in like, you just need to stop drinking altogether right now. And that's the answer either. Like I'm definitely more of like a harm reduction and like, how can we do this mindfully? Um, sober curious kind of um, options for my clients and stuff like that. So that's been really interesting as well. I read Sober Curious too by Ruby Warrington and um, I just feel like that, um, more of that curiosity versus saying like, you need to stop this big thing is much more beneficial for my clients, but it also just helps them to be mindful of like how it does impact you because it does, you know? And did your clinical work, um, you know, as you got further in your recovery and had, you know, a greater interest and knowledge base on sobriety, did your clinical work steer more towards alcohol and, and substance use or were you there to begin with? Or is it just now something you kind of integrate across presentations? What's your work with substance use like? So it's not like solely right now, it's not solely based in um, substance use. Um, I like... To me, substance use is like another thing to numb with. It's like any numbing behavior is kind of my focus for counseling, um, like scrolling on the internet, um, alcohol, food, you know, really anything that you can utilize to numb is something that I try to um, bring up and talk about and focus in on of like, what, why are we using that? And is that a healthy thing to be using? And is there something that we can be doing instead in place of numbing? Um, so that has been like my way of incorporating recently. Um, but I also am um, going to be likely opening up like another part of my business that is going to be sobriety coaching um, probably within the next six months here. Um, so that was something that like in the training that I went to in June in Colorado, we like practice group parts of like, you know, um, being sober curious and stuff like that. So I am excited to like, niche a little bit more down into that in the future. Um, I think I needed 
my own time this past five years to really like get to where I am now. And now it's not so much like something that I need to ever really think about, like my sobriety. And now I feel like I'm ready to like be able to kind of help others if that's something that they are interested in or want to learn more about. Amazing. I love your approach. I like how you talk about it. So exciting to hear about the next step. Please keep us updated. Keep us posted. All of those things. Now, Elena, what would you say to a clinician who might be listening if they are maybe sober curious or if they're looking at their lifestyle or considering sobriety, any of the things we chatted about today, what advice might you share? I think really it's about like, you know, because alcohol is so normalized in our culture and people will minimize like, oh, it's no big deal. You, you know, I think just really asking those questions for themselves of like, instead of saying like, am I an alcoholic? Like, I don't think that's the right question to ask. You know, Laura McCowan in her book says that like, that usually is not the right question to ask. It's more so like, how is alcohol impacting my life? Is it making my life better or is it making my life more complicated? Do I feel better or worse when I'm drinking? Do I feel better or worse the day after I'm drinking? So those are the questions that I feel like I would start with. And then from there, whether those questions are yes or no, you can figure out, okay, so then what is what is the role that I want alcohol to play in my life? And is it different from what it is right now? I love that shift. Instead of saying, you know, letting alcohol take whatever role it is or letting status quo rule, you're saying, no, no, no. What do I want alcohol to look like in my life? Like, because we are in control um, and we mm-hmm. can, and I we think can make like, choices. Yeah. And I think that people think it's like this polarizing thing. You're either one thing or another. You're either an alcoholic or you're sober and like miserable. <laughs> and I don't like agree to that. Like, I don't really call myself an alcoholic. Um, I just think that alcohol wasn't working the way I wanted to work in my life. And so I chose to step away from that and utilize other coping mechanisms. And so I, I think if you stay in that polarizing thought, you're never going to want to like look uh, like closer to how alcohol is playing in your life, you know? Oh, absolutely. I love that we're breaking the stigma as a culture that just because you're sober doesn't mean you're an alcoholic, right? Yes. I love yes. that because it's so good for our mental health across the board. Yes. Yeah. So, and it's been great. Like I definitely have seen like a culture shift in terms of, oh my gosh, like I used to work at a brewery um, and I, I had to stop like after a couple of months of being sober because uh, like people would just be like, it would just trigger me. But um, I really loved the taste of beer. I loved beer. I was a huge beer drinker. And now like there's so many NA options for beer that it's amazing. And all of this craft beer and um, you know, crap, just like all these mocktails. And it's just been really nice to like try out different things and like friends and my fiance's friends, like they'll know that I don't drink and they'll find like really fun, different types of NA drinks for me, which has been really fun to be able to like participate uh, without feeling like an outsider, you know? Yes, I agree. We're the same way. We love mocktails. Like my yes. husband's very into like non-alcoholic beers. There's so many now like award-winning like non-alcoholic yes. beverages. We're from Connecticut. I don't know if you've ever had Athletic, but yes. they started here in Stratford, Connecticut. Yes. Um, and I was a bartender all through undergrad and graduate school. And I always joke, I'm like, oh, I'm a mocktail bartender now. Like I love making drinks still. Like I love making fun beverages, like themed ones. So you can still you know, if that works for you, like incorporate the funness, like the exciting things. And I just choose not to put alcohol into that and like still can have fun. So I agree. I really love that shift of like 
just finding how it works for you. You can still be a social fun person. Like you can yes. still have mocktails and all of these things. So I really value that perspective. I agree. It's just so good to hear these conversations because it does feel different than I feel like, at least for myself than it used to have like very polarizing or one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy we're having this conversation. Yes. Yeah, me too. I definitely feel like for the first couple of years, it was like with my career, I felt like I couldn't really like talk about it. Like couldn't really like mm-hmm. say that I was sober because mm-hmm. like, what would that mean about me or something? Like I felt like I would be judged career wise if people knew that I was sober, which is crazy because like you'd be a better, you know, not better, but you would be like really focused and not hung over, you know, like you'd think it'd mm-hmm. be a positive thing. But I always felt like I would be judged for for a long time. But it's like, been really nice, especially in moving to group practice in my private practice that I don't have to worry about that anymore. And I can kind of like be proud and talk about it more without like having to hide that part of me. Alina, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that we've talked about sobriety before, but I love that we're looking at it through this lens of, you know, breaking the stigma between sobriety and alcoholism and being able to integrate that into your life and your work. It's just so refreshing. And thank you for sharing all of your vulnerable pieces of your story with us today. And if listeners want to find out more about you or your practice, where can they find you? Yeah, so my Instagram handle is Into the Woods Therapy. Um, and I also have a website that's Into the Woods Therapy716.com. So you can find me on Instagram or on my website. And I think I'm also on psychology today, obviously. Thank Perfect. you. So we'll much. link that in the show notes as always. But thank you again so much for sharing this story with us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 